this morning I'll be reading from Matthew chapter 25. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten young women took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them are foolish and five of them are wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But, with the, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a shout. Look, here's a bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those young women got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, no, there will not be enough for you and for us. You'd better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went with him, to, went with him into the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later, the young women came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, Truly, I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. The word of the Lord. Good morning, Highland. Um, I'm Tara Harmon. Um, I'm a member here at Highland, and I'm really excited uh, to be here with you today. Um, I've been here at Highland uh, for about a year, and I have really appreciated uh, getting to know some of you and to be part of this community. And so I was really honored when Shane asked me to preach. Um, I felt a little bit less honored when I realized which parable I had signed up for. <laughs> Uh, but I hope that I can say something helpful uh, to you today in the next few minutes. One of the styles of preaching that I've heard over the years, although not in a long time, is the three points and a prayer. Uh, you know, you get up, you make your three points, you say a prayer, you sit back down. Um, as someone who has become a little bit less certain of things as life goes on, I will not be following the three points and a prayer model uh, but if you listen closely, you will perhaps hear three hunches and a benediction. <laughs> so our, our parable today is about ten young women. Um, and I'm going to start just with the main idea. In God's kingdom, people are what they say they are. There is no place in God's kingdom for deception or manipulation. The kingdom of God, in other words, is not a life hack. Perhaps you have seen these life hacks on social media, in videos or memes. Often they are these clever but sort of dubious looking ideas to fix a problem that you didn't really have. Uh, maybe they show you how to make a pair of shoes out of duct tape or set a, fire, set a fire with a bag of Doritos. Long before these life hacks though was the, what I like to think of as the original hack. And this was the Nintendo hack. Being the little sister of the Nintendo owner in our family, I was not privy to the mysteries of the hack itself. But from the hours that I spent uh, watching this maneuver performed, this is what I gathered. When you reach a certain point in the video game, it was possible to enter in on your controller a code. And this code would allow your character to skip levels or gain lives or otherwise get some advantages that you wouldn't normally get. If you could find the code, which was no easy feat in pre-internet days, you could skip the work of getting to the harder levels. This, as we will see, is not 
how Jesus advises his disciples to approach a life of faith. The wrong question is how we can skip the work. What then is the right question? Jesus asks, who is faithful and wise? In Matthew 24, he introduces three parables with this question. True to Jesus' style, this is not the question that the disciples asked him. A couple of chapters back, the disciples asked Jesus when he will be coming back. And how will they know that it's about to happen? At this point in the book of Matthew, the disciples seem to be getting anxious about what is coming. They were called by Jesus, and they have been following him. They've spent a few years wandering around with Jesus. They've watched him heal people. They've learned something about what his priorities are. Jesus has now entered Jerusalem to people waving palm branches and shouting, Hosanna, And immediately he encountered opposition from those who were in power. Now, instead of trying to smooth over the conflict, Jesus turned over the tables in the temple and he told the leaders of Jerusalem in no uncertain terms that they were being unfaithful. Tensions are high and Jesus only seems to be ramping them up. So when he points to the temple, the single most important place on earth, and said, all of these stones are going to come down, the disciples want to know, number one, when is this going to happen? And number two, how are we going to know when you're coming back? So Jesus talks a little bit about this coming destruction of Jerusalem, and he says a few little cryptic things about what the signs will be, but when he gets to the part about when he will be coming back, he doesn't tell them. He asks a different question. Who is faithful and wise in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus then tells three parables to address this question. One is about a slave who is supposed to feed the other slaves, and he has to decide whether he's going to give the other slaves food like he is supposed to, or whether he's going to beat them up and take the food instead. And he tells the parable of the talents, which is about a master who has given his slaves some money to invest while he's away, and about how each of these slaves go about doing their assigned task. Now, sandwiched between these two parables is our parable, a story about 10 young women. In this story, a groom is coming to meet a bride to take her to the wedding. When the groom comes to pick up the bride, these 10 young women have a very specific job. They are supposed to hold out a torch and light the way for the groom. Their job isn't exactly what we would call a bridesmaid today, but we'll call them bridesmaids. The story goes something like this. Ten bridesmaids took out their torches to meet the groom in order to light his way for the bride. Five of them were foolish, and five of them were wise. The foolish ones did not take any fuel for their torches, while the wise ones did. The groom was late, and it was nighttime. So the bridesmaids all got sleepy, and they went to sleep. When they heard the shout that the groom was coming, they all woke up and started getting ready, uh, getting their torches ready. But the foolish bridesmaids remembered that they didn't bring any fuel for their torch. They asked the wise ones to share, uh, but there wasn't enough fuel. Uh, Dividing up the fuel would apparently result in not having enough fuel for anyone to light the way for the groom. 
So the wise ones tell the foolish ones that they should go buy some more fuel. While they're gone, the groom comes back, and the bridesmaids who were prepared go with him to the wedding banquet, and the door to the banquet is shut. When the latecomers knock on the door, the groom says to them, I do not know you. The parable ends ominously with the phrase, keep awake therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. So we have the disciples question, how will we know when you are coming back? We have Jesus' redirected question, who is faithful and wise in the kingdom of heaven? And we have a parable about some bridesmaids who are ready for the groom and some who are not. And there are a few things I want to know as we start to put this together. One is why would Jesus tell a parable in the face of the disciples' pretty direct question and pretty high anxiety? And also, what can this parable say to us about living a faithful and wise life? So first question first, why a parable? Part of the reason has to be that Jesus just likes a good story. He tells them all the time. Stories are memorable, and they move us in ways that simple information doesn't. There's more to it than that, though, I think, and here's my hunch. Parables work in two directions. They reveal and they obscure. They say something, and they ask you to revise some previous assumption. One must have eyes to see and ears to hear a parable, as Jesus says elsewhere. Parables shout that God is mystery, and there is more to the faithful life than having all of the information. One of the ways that parables work is by jostling stuck ideas that are in our heads. I would suggest that no ideas are more prone to getting stuck than our ideas about God. When I was a kid, for most of the time that I was growing up, we had this TV, and this TV had a habit of suddenly switching from being a regular color TV to black and white. Except the black and white wasn't black or gray, it was different shades of purple. So we'd be watching a show, the TV would like flicker, and we'd be watching the same show, but now in purple and white. In hindsight, maybe our TV was an ACU fan. <laughs> in order to fix this, one of us would have to get up, walk over to the TV, and bang on the side of it until it flickered again and would, the color would be restored. So I have no idea how we figured out that we could fix this problem by banging on the TV, and I really don't recommend this on any TV made after 1985, but I think that a parable is a little bit like this banging on the TV. It can take our stuck purple and white way of seeing, and if we have eyes to see, can jostle it back into color. Before we can learn something, there might be some things that we have to unlearn. So what is it that Jesus is trying to jostle in this parable of the bridesmaids? What is it he wants his disciples to unlearn? I think he wants the disciples to unlearn that the kingdom of God is a life hack. You can't deceive your way into it. The job of the bridesmaid is to light the way to the groom. The idea that the bridesmaid would go out to the groom unprepared to do the only job that she is supposed to do is ridiculous. She isn't being a bridesmaid at that point. She's saying she is a bridesmaid and being something else. 
This is not like forgetting to flick off the lights on your way out the door. This is more like an Uber driver that shows up without a car or a lumberjack that doesn't have an ax. This is more like a florist shop with no flowers. Jesus is telling the disciples that to say you are a follower of Jesus and to wait until you know that Jesus is about to be back before actually following Jesus is ridiculous. The disciples want to know how they can know when Jesus is going to come back. But Jesus wants to jostle their view of what the kingdom of heaven is. It's not a hack. It's not about gaming the system or finding the loophole. The better question, the one Jesus asks and answers, is who is faithful and wise? In our story, the young women who are faithful and wise have two qualities that I can see. They've agreed to be bridesmaids, and they are ready when the groom comes. Parables need a little bit of room to breathe, so I will try not to squeeze this one too tight as I make a couple of observations about these wise young women who are in our story. My first observation is that when the parable opens, they have an established relationship with the, with the bridal couple. Whoever was responsible for arranging the young women to meet the groom has already done so. This is true of the other parables in this trio as well. The servants are already servants. The bridesmaids are already bridesmaids. This is not a story about evangelism. It doesn't say anything about people who don't claim to follow Jesus. It's a story about people who say they follow Jesus will act. And it suggests to me that the faithful life is not something you can do one time. It's not something you can agree to do and then forget about. Unless Jesus is coming back in our lifetime, this is a lifetime project. My second observation is that the wise young women took their oil. They were ready. They were doing the job that they said they would do, not waiting to hear hoofbeats before thinking about collecting the fuel that they would need for their torch. And here is the biggest question that I have about the whole parable. The direct question that I would ask Jesus, that he probably wouldn't answer, what is the oil? This seems like the most obvious question. What is it that we are supposed to be doing? How can we be ready? He's told three parables that are pretty intense that suggest that people who follow Jesus need to follow Jesus. He said that this is of the utmost importance, but he stopped short of saying exactly what it is that we're supposed to be doing. What is the job of the Christian? What is the one thing that would be ridiculous for the Christian to fail to do? What does this life of faith really look like? After reading this text many dozens of times now, I'm confident in telling you it doesn't say. <laughs> this parable simply doesn't tell us, and I can't tell you why with any certainty really, but I do have a hunch. And here's hunch number two. I think it's possible that the life of faith looks different for different people. Yes, there are qualities that should characterize every Christian. Love, justice, mercy, faith. But what that looks like in your life, this is where you have to stop and let the text read you. 
This is where you evaluate your own heart, where you look at your own gifts and abilities, where you notice the people around you and you see what they need and you ask God, what job would be ridiculous for me not to do? If you are someone who nurtures people, nurture people. If suffering in the world calls out to you, then engage in acts of mercy. If you have truth to say and people listen to you, then teach. If you can join your heart to God's in prayer, then you need to be praying. If you have people in your life that require your attention every single day, then know that you can do that work for the Lord. And if you are in a situation or a season of life in which everyday activity is not easy or is impossible for you, know that your quiet witness of faithfulness, especially faithfulness in suffering, is an example that our world desperately needs. If you are sitting there and you're thinking, I don't really know what my job is, maybe ask someone who knows you. They might have some ideas. And if you can catch a glimpse of it, chase that vision that God gives you for what a, what a wise and faithful life looks like for you. I think this is a little bit harder maybe than it seems. Most of us do more than one thing, and sometimes our gifts and abilities might not match what needs to be done. Sometimes our job changes over time. Someone I know who might be in the audience today said once, no one's spiritual gift is cleaning toilets. The implied point is that sometimes we do the job that needs to be done, whether or not it's something we're really very excited about. There are lots of options for work in the kingdom of heaven. The option we do not have according to this parable, is to forget that we are followers of Jesus. If you have agreed to be one of God's people, you don't have the option to wait around. You have a job to do. Now before I finish, I have one last hunch. Hunch number three is that part of having ears to hear is hearing the whole tune. Uh, I learned just enough piano when I was young to be able to plunk out the melody of a song. What makes a song beautiful, though, is when all of the parts join together. More beautiful still, when you add the whole orchestra. I could be wrong about this, but I don't think I've ever heard a sermon on this parable before. And maybe this is because it has a similar point as the parable of the talents, which is a more popular story. I think, though, that I haven't heard, or maybe one of the reasons I haven't heard a story on this parable is because it's a text that makes us a little bit nervous. The groom is pretty harsh in the end, shutting out the foolish bridesmaids. And I wonder if we don't know what to do with that. I'm not sure I really know what to do with that. What we do know, um, I think, either by instinct or by experience, is that fear is not the best motivator. In the end, the fruit of a religion that uses fear to motivate is rotten. But I'm afraid that we don't know how to read this text in a way that doesn't make us fear, that doesn't make us feel anxiety. And this is where the whole tune comes in. I think of Jesus sitting around with his disciples telling these stories. And even though these stories 
are full of warning, this is not the tone that characterizes their whole experience of Jesus. The bigger picture is that the disciples have watched Jesus heal people who are sick. They have seen him feed people who are hungry. They have heard him say that love is the most important commandment. Hearing Jesus tell this parable in his own voice and understanding all of the little things that we miss from not being there in that time and place, I think they would hear the ridiculous elements of this story. The bridesmaid that doesn't do the one job that she has to do. The fact that the groom is late to his own wedding. The idea that somebody would send out these 10 young women to the road all alone and leave them there all night. They would hear those parts and they would balance that with the serious call in the parable to live a sincere life of faith. When I try to imagine how this sounded to the disciples, I hear the elements that jostled the idea that the kingdom of heaven can be manipulated, but I also hear that this story kind of sounds like a tall tale. And I think about us and the tune that we know. We have the benefit of the whole Bible that can give us parts of the melody and the harmony. We know that when God shows up in scripture, often the first words are, do not be afraid. We know that God is love and that love drives out fear. And we know that nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you are someone who is a follower of Jesus, I hope you know that the call of Jesus is not an anxious one. So I like to think that when we put all of this together, we can find a chord for our parable in which we hear all of the notes. The note that we need to be sincere and serious about our faith. Finding the work that God has for us and going about it diligently. Knowing that neglecting to follow Jesus is not an option. And the note that while God's kingdom is not about deception, it is also not about fear, but rather love. And also the note that our work is about joy. It is working for the God who loves us desperately, who has created us to do this very work. We have a prayer team that's going to come down now at, uh, here at Highland, and as the prayer team comes down, um, if you are somebody who, who would like uh, to, to be prayed for or to pray with somebody, um, come join the prayer team. They can pray with you now or they can arrange a time to do that later. And if you can, please stand for our benediction. May the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ go with you today. And may you May he give you the eyes to see and the ears to hear. Go with God.